Welcome to the Saddle Hunter Podcast. Plug in your headphones and act busy. Your boss will never know. Now, here are your hosts, Scott and Greg. Oh man, it is so good to be back on another Saddle Hunter podcast. I'm excited to be here with my best buddy Scott and we are excited about an interview with uh, Ted Bright and we're excited to wrap up the the Saddle Hunting 101 episodes. We had to cut it short last last month and so we're excited to wrap that part up and man Scott, how you been? I've been good. How about you, Greg? I'm doing fantastic. Uh back to work after the new year. I had a long break for Christmas and uh it's been back to the grind so that's been interesting well how about uh did you get any hunting in i did get a lot of hunting in uh i i i've been hunting uh, a lot of ducks actually okay. which i'm not a duck hunter and i actually have no clue what i'm doing I'm, I'm actually worse at duck hunting than i am at deer hunting so that's pretty bad <laughs> Uh, cause I, I'm not a very good deer hunter. Uh, but anyway, I have fun with it, but I, yeah, I've been doing some duck hunting and, uh, the season in Georgia has officially closed. So, uh, I'm going to try to slip away to Alabama or Florida to hunt with my family, um, maybe once or twice more, but I think for the most part, my deer season is over. All right. I, um, I have actually a little under a month left if I, if I want to go to the end, but I spent the past couple of weeks actually doing some scouting. We had some snow on the ground, so I took the opportunity to t- kind of get in and um, try to learn a couple new areas. And hoping on um, this Saturday to go out and I might sit all day in one of these new spots. Actually, last weekend I went out and it's a pretty hard hit public land. There's actually pheasant hunters walking around while I'm out there. Twelve o'clock in the middle of the day, I'm setting up a tree. And I have a, a little, a, like a button buck walk out right under me. Oh, man. I was like, okay, you know, maybe the spot will pan out. Yeah, were you setting it up with screw-in steps or bolts or yeah, sticks or I, what? I was actually testing out my Bullman uh, outdoor steps with an aider. Oh, cool. How'd it work? Uh, they worked. Um, it was a little slower than I wanted going, but I was kind of learning. Um, I was trying a different aider out and... It took me 18 minutes to get up and set up, so that a little slower than I wanted, but that was the first time using that system, so we'll see. It might, it'll take some more practice. Well, you know, Sean, the owner of, of Bullman Outdoors, that dude is awesome, and I've talked with him on the phone for a while, and he's a hardcore hunter, and and he has some cool ideas of some products that he wants to bring to market, and, and his steps are really great, so... Yeah, so saddle hunters out there, uh, you should really look into that. The Silent Approach by Bullman Outdoors. It sounds like they've got a uh, a a partially good, at least if not complete, review from Scott in the works, right? Oh yeah, at some point, I uh, I don't like to give any reviews on any products until I I've, I've really evaluated them. Um, so that, like I said, that was my first time out with them. I'm going to to keep at it, and um, once I determine what i think about them i'll i'm sure i'll write something up cool sounds good well uh man we've got some cool stuff this week like i said a minute ago uh we've got a great interview with ted bright he got it done uh his first year saddle hunting on public land and he 
got it done with his son, which was awesome. Uh, they did some some backcountry hunting in Missouri and on public land, and they were real deep in there. They accessed it with with mountain bikes and with canoes, and uh, so it's really hard to access public land. And the saddle just made a huge difference for him. Uh, so before we spend any more time getting into saddle hunting 101, let's jump into that conversation with Ted Bright. Ted, how's it going, man? Good to talk to you. I'm doing well. Thank you guys for letting me join the program this morning. Ah, we're, we're happy to have you now. Tell us a little bit who you are, what you do for a living, uh, where you live, stuff like that. All right. Uh, well, my name is Ted Bright. I'm a hardcore archery hunter in uh, south central Missouri in Crawford County. And I, I actually uh, I work for Mark Andy Incorporated uh, based in St. Louis, and I sell commercial printing presses. Commercial printing presses. Oh, very interesting. Yes, sir. How long have you been hunting? I have been hunting since uh, basically I could walk. Uh, lots of fond memories as a child, uh, exploring the woods. Uh, you know, I killed my first deer at 16, which is, uh, you know, late in today's terms. But, uh, you know, I hunted uh, by myself since I was 12, you know, when it was legal to do so in Pennsylvania, grew up hunting in the mountains and now in Missouri. And I, uh, definitely specialize in archery hunting. Okay. So you've been hunting for a while, but correct me if I'm wrong, but this season was your first one transitioning to saddle hunting, right? Correct. And I, and I have archery hunted since I was 12 also, uh, just out of tree stands primarily. And then, yeah, this year for the first time, uh, with a, a good buddy of mine has been hunting out of a saddle for years, Brett Houston, and uh, he's on the forum too, but he, uh, he kind of introduced it to me and uh, did some internet research and everything. And yeah, I ended up going with the, uh, the arrow hunter evolution and yeah, it was my first year. It was very exciting. Uh, there's definitely a learning curve, uh, but it was a, a challenge that I really embraced and it, uh, it fits well with my MO of, you know, really, sinking into what the things that I do. And, um, you know, it was uh, a whole different level, basically hunting out of a different tree every single time in the woods. That's tough to do. You know, we, we talk about that a lot on saddlehunter.com and also, you know, a lot of other forums like, uh, well, just some of the other forums around, around the internet, they talk about, you know, first sit, best sit. And that's one of the things I believe in, but staying mobile with the with traditional tree stands and, and stuff can be, it can be quite a challenge. So how, how did that, uh, how did that play out for you? Do you think the saddle really helped, helped out in that area or was it more of more of a liability or what was your impression? Oh, it was definitely an asset in the mobility regards. Uh, so kind of backing up a little bit as I've evolved as a hunter, you know, for, uh, I, I guess, about five years ago, I was probably in my prime of hunting fixed tree stands over food plots that I cultivated and, you know, did a lot of work with clearing out of the woods and, you know, uh, planting and, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, but, you know, as mainly a lot due to the podcasts and all the, the forums that are available to us hunters now, uh, I became educated to a, a better way, in my opinion, anyway. And that is, you know really learning the behaviors of, of the animal, of the, of the quarry, um, you know, getting so entrenched in the details and the nuance of the animals and reading and scouting the sign and, 
uh, I would rather spend my time doing that versus spending the time cultivating, uh, you know, a, a food plot. And, you know, I was to the point where I was even, you know, manufacturing travel corridors into said food plot. But again, I was spending a lot of time doing that type of stuff versus, you know, scouting and, and getting close to, uh, you know, mature buck bedding areas. And uh, the saddle has helped me incredibly to, to do that. What was your setup before you switched to the saddle, Ted? Uh, you know what? I, I used a lot of the Sportsman's Guide uh, tree stands because I, you know, I probably have about 12, maybe even 14 of them. And I would have them uh, hung in various spots, you know. So it was almost like a, uh, uh, a way of being mobile with just a lot of stands, you know, that were all pre-hung and ready to hunt. Uh, and, you know, that's, that can be an effective method for sure. Uh, but yeah, that's what I would mostly use is the, the sportsman guide, uh, climbing sticks, the quick sticks and the, uh, the cheap tree stands. I would wait till they were on sale and get them for like 26 mm-hmm. bucks a piece for the smallest ones. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I've got some, uh, private property is like 760 acres that's 15 minutes from my house. And I bet I've got eight of those tree stands hung in various spots on that property. Yeah. I actually have the same ones or. Uh, I had a lot of the same ones I've sold. I've sold most of them, but I still have a few of those sportsman's guide stands and the sticks. I still use those sticks for a lot of preset spots. Um, uh, I just use it now with my saddle instead of, instead of the tree stand. But I I actually, I I mean, this is the saddle hunting podcast, but we really don't have anything against tree stands per se. I mean, I agree with you, Ted, that, 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 style of you know hanging a tree stand in every possible place that you could ever want to hunt on a property it's a great method um it keeps spots fresh you're not over hunting a stand you can play the wind Uh, there's lots of benefits to doing it that way uh the only problem is you know for the guys that are hunting a lot of public land or a lot of different properties it's difficult to do that uh and, you know, especially for someone like me, I move every few years and then I have to go and get all 20 tree stands out of the woods and all the ladders. And it's just, it's a bear. So, uh, so the switch to the saddle, I switch for, you know, kind of some of the same reasons as you. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of it for me was a migration to public land as well. You know, that, that challenge, uh, you know, kind of mirrored my, the, the challenge of getting away from, you know, the, uh, food plot tree stand hunting, uh, as far as timing goes. So it just, it worked out really well. And, um, yeah, so it, it's been a great first year. That's for sure. One other point I wanted to make though, about having those tree stands there and, and we still use them, but it, and the saddle is so perfect for, you know, my 15 year old son, uh, we hunt together a lot and we've got those tree stands that are still placed out there and he has tree stands placed on the public ground that we hunt. But the saddle is perfect for just, I, I can stand on the seat of the tree stand um, and secure my ring of steps and I can just hang out right above him. And it, I, I can't believe that more people in the, the filming industry don't utilize that type of a setup because it, it seems to me like it's ideal for it. You're right. It, it, it really is. I, t- I talk about all the time how when I was a kid, my dad used to hang in his Anderson tree sling behind me, like on youth days when he'd take me out. Or not youth days, but the, the doe days that he would take me out. And, um, that, that's how I, uh, how, how I learned with him in the tree with me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a really neat experience. Just, just hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's great. Now, Ted, 
you actually had a pretty good season and you got your biggest buck ever uh, this season, right? Yes, I did. And the saddle had something to do with that. Talk us through that story and, and give us give us kind of the highlights and talk about maybe how the saddle helped or maybe it didn't help. Maybe maybe if you'd have had a tree stand, it would have been uh, even better. But talk us through that hunt, how it went, and and some of the details. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. So uh, I was hunting this, this public piece that's not too far from my house. And I, I hunted it pretty hard because the first time I went down there this season, uh, I saw, uh, you know, clear sign of a mature buck and, you know, big tracks, you know, I got several photos of some, uh, some big tracks, you know, just blatantly obvious big buck and, and some big piles of uh, deer scat that were again, just obvious that this is a big mature animal. And so I, you know, over the, uh, that was probably mid October when I first went down there and saw that sign. And it took me several weeks of, you know, kind of honing in on him. And I, I didn't hunt there exclusively, but I was, uh, you know, just honing in, honing in, honing in. I, I had some cameras down there, but I never could get a picture of him. But almost every time down there, I would see some type of a new sign that kind of pointed me in the direction. And I just, I just progressively worked more and more closer to his bedding. And then uh, I guess it was actually the second weekend of Missouri rifle season my son and I went into the public land and it's archery only. And it's been a, uh, also a goal of mine over the last several years to, uh, to throw my firearm tag on an archery kill. So in Missouri, it's legal to do that. You can, you can hunt, um, you know, with your bow during rifle season, as long as you wear an orange and you can do that on this, uh, on this public land that's archery only. So my son and I went in uh, just for a, a weekend hunt. I went in Friday morning and, you know, I had been hunting very hard. And I, I remember that my mindset going into that was, you know, I've been hunting so hard, you know, I don't want to get burned out. I'm just going to kind of take it easy and uh, just have fun. And so I, I didn't, wasn't in a hurry that morning, went in uh, with the mountain bike and I set up my son's tree stand and set up camp and, uh, I, I left camp and I, I had to cross the river and uh, was scouting my way to my spot. And I, I knew a general area of where I wanted to go, but I, I didn't have an exact tree in mind. And I just uh, scouted my way to the spot and, uh, you know, I found the sign that I wanted to. And, you know, I, I knew that he was very close and I saw several large scrapes and several large rubs that, you know, really, uh, you know, pinned him down to that area. And so I set up in a, in a, in a small little elm tree that forked off twice. And then right where I was hanging about 30 feet split into three, almost, you know, like a, like a pitchfork type. And so, you know, it was only, gosh, at the, at the base, this tree was probably only 12 inches in diameter. So it's a pretty small tree. And I, I hunted that evening and, uh, I rattled in a buck and I actually, uh, unfortunately put a marginal shot on him or I took a marginal shot, I should say, and, uh, grazed him, you know, the flesh wound and, you know, the emotions of a bow hunter. I was down in the dumps and, you know, just frustrated with myself for really even trying that shot. And, uh, so, you know, how it goes, you're working your butt off and all this and, you know, putting in all the time and the scouting and, and then that happens. And, um, uh, I, I did not allow myself to get deterred. I got up uh, bright and early the next morning, and uh, I remember it was a it was a south wind, and 
was a good wind, about 15 mile an hour wind. And it enabled me to sneak in real quietly. And I, I, I walked the low lying drainages and ditches and really uh, went to the extreme to walk out of my way because I knew I would be walking through the area where the deer were moving from feed to bed. And I, so I got to my tree and, uh, you know, climbed up and didn't see anything in the early morning. And then right around 740, uh, I saw a spike and he was basically running from my right to my left behind me. And, you know, he, he wasn't on a full out run, but I could tell he was, he was moving away from something and, you know, it kind of caught my attention. And so I kept an eye behind me to that right area over my right shoulder. And sure enough, about five minutes later, two does came and I caught a glimpse of something behind them. And it basically just looked like antlers coming through the brush. You know how that looks. So you may have already said this and I might've missed it, but this is uh, the peak of the rut. Give me the time frame here. Uh, November 18th. November 18th. Okay. Got yep. it. Yeah. And November in, 18th. in, in that part of the country where you're hunting, is that kind of peaking out or is that still a little early for the rut or what? Uh, that most people consider the peak of the rut around here to be around November, the, you know, 10th through the 15th. So, uh, some people consider that, you know, that 18th, uh, to the 20th time frame as being locked down, but I've always had really good success during that, you know, the 15th through the 20th. So it's okay. no, November 18th. So t- in my opinion, that's, you know, right there at the peak of the rut. Prime time. Got it. Right. Right. Prime time for sure. So, uh, here, here they came and, and sure enough, there they went, right. Just as, as quick as it all happened, you know, I, I watched that, that buck, uh, you know, follow those two does. He it came by at 25 yards, but he's to my right. So, you know, I, I just really couldn't do anything cause it happened so quick. And I watched him, you know, just follow these does. And so I grunted at him and, uh, he paid no interest. And when I grunted the does actually, you know, quickened up their pace a little bit. But every time I grunted, I noticed that he would flick his tail. Uh, he didn't turn around and look or anything like that. But every time I grunted, he would flick his tail. I could tell it was registering. And so I basically watched him walk out of, you know, he came into my life and came right, went right out of my life. And uh, so I put down the grunt tube. I unhooked off of my bow and I, gla- I grabbed my black rack and uh, hit those things together. And I'm not kidding. As soon as I touched them together, he came running back, charging in. I could, I barely had time to put the, the rack back up, almost dropped him. You know how it goes. <laughs> and uh, he came running in again, but he's still to my right. And he stopped at 20 yards. And I, meanwhile, I'm moving real slow. Keep in mind, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 feet up and we can get more to my setup in a minute, which, you know, how it allows me to get that high. But I'm 30 feet up, so it allows me some, uh, you know, some movement. So he's he's right there. I had to clip on real quick, and I'm hoping that he's just going to come, you know, behind me from my right to my left and allow me to swing all the way around and get my shot. So, but he stops at 20 yards, and he's still, you know, he's at my like four o'clock, and uh, you know, he just he freezes and he's in the thick stuff, and he's to my right. So I, but he was very charged up. He was very aggressive. Uh, his hair was standing up. And I thought that I, even though he was that close, I thought that I could get away with a grunt. So I pointed the, the tube to my left and I, I grunted. And as soon as I did, he was, he was on it. He was trotting in that direction again. And I basically, you know, uh, let go of my grunt tube, clipped on. 
and I still had to watch him uh, over my right shoulder until he reached a couple of big trees. And as soon as he did so, I very quickly uh, and quietly, of course, but uh, you know, most people think you can only move slow, you know, but these trees were big and I moved real quickly. I wheeled around and I came to full draw in one fluid motion. And uh, basically, as soon as he stepped out from behind those trees, he was, oh, I don't know, eight yards, pretty much right underneath of me. And I let it fly. I hit just on my side of his spine. So he, on his right side, it hit a little bit high and uh, went, uh, you know, I got a, a pass through because I, after he tore out, I zoomed in with my binoculars and I could see my arrow right there. So I knew I got a pass through. And uh, so, you know, 20 minutes later or so, I climbed down and uh, found my arrow, but there was some, there was a lot of guts around it. There was no blood. It was all guts. And I'm like, what the heck, you know? So here I am, the emotions of a bow hunter again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to wait now. And I don't know what I, I knew that I saw that it was a good hit, but the guts indicated otherwise. And so I uh, uh, just was going to go back to camp and get my son and take our time and come back. And um, I, you know, was just relegated to thinking that I possibly had a gut shot. So uh, as I'm walking back to camp, I went all the way around the area. And uh, as I'm walking back to camp, I, I look over and I saw a little tiny gray spot in, in the woods, 200 yards away from me, just enough to warrant another look in the binoculars. And sure enough, it was him. So I'm assuming that the guts were maybe that I shot through his esophagus and it must've just kind of plugged up from the blood and the, you know, the guts, the cud, I guess it was his, who was chewing his cud, uh, splattered around there. And that's what I saw. So at any rate, I ended up retrieving my buck and uh, going back to camp to get my son and, uh, and the, the celebration ensued from there. That's awesome. I bet that was a lot of fun, man. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. It was. That's you. That is pretty awesome. So it sounded like the uh, the saddle really aided in you being able to uh, get a shot off at him. It, it did. Uh, it definitely did. Um, so I use lone wolf sticks and with, with aiders, all, uh, you know, personal mods that I've made myself. And so with four sticks, I'm easily able to get up to 30 feet. I could probably even get a little bit higher, but in that little elm tree, it just worked out perfect. And uh, the, you know, when you're in a tree that has a lot of branches like that, being able to use sticks to climb is, is great and handy and you can just navigate your way through them and it provides such great cover. And one of the, maybe one of the biggest advantages of the saddle is that your natural body position comes off of the trunk of the tree in the formation of a branch. It's the same angle as a branch, whereas a tree stand you know, unless you put the seat up and you're hugging the tree, you stick out. I, I've had deer look right through me and I, just kind of experimenting with, it. you know, if there's a, a mature doe around, I'll just kind of experiment with it. And they, they just don't see you. And I'm convinced if you have good camo, then it's just the fact that it looks like a branch. You're a hundred percent right. There's no doubt that eh, coming off of a tree at a, at a weird angle, um, helps. And, and you, you got to also think about the fact that, you know, a mature buck. So, you know, you got a four or five year old buck. He has encountered tree stand hunters almost certainly and probably more than once. And so if he, if he comes upon a saddle hunter, 
and it looks different, you know, maybe he'll give you that second chance that you wouldn't have gotten if you were sitting in a traditional tree stand or a climber or something like that, something that he was more familiar with. But since you're coming out at a weird angle, you know, maybe that buck goes, Hey, that's, that's different. Let me just, uh, maybe I won't spook right away. I'll just kind of mosey on this way. And that may be the opening that you need. Yeah. You know, I can actually think of two bucks off the top of my head that, uh, they actually got right under my tree and figured out something was up and kind of looked around. One of them looked up at me, They, but they just hopped off like 10 yards and I was still able to get a shot off when they stopped. So I think they were probably a little confused. I think that's true. I mean, I think that's what happens. There's a, and, and Ted, you certainly feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's that natural angle that a branch would be coming off of the tree versus, you know, a blocky silhouette that's, totally separated from the tree. I was going to say, and Ted, the uh, setup that you described right there, I mean, that's, as far as I'm concerned, and I know Greg feels the same way, that's the perfect setup. I mean, we look for these crotches in the tree, if we can get into them, because you're just, once you get in the middle of them, you're just hidden. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It just takes stealthy to a whole new level. It really does. I assume that you were hunting on your ring of steps. You said earlier that you've put your ring of steps uh, above your son when you were hunting, you know, when he was hunting in a tree stand. So I'm assuming you use the same thing. So you attached your four lone wolf sticks and then the ring of steps at the top. Is that correct? That is correct. I do. I use the Ameristep ring of steps, uh, the lone wolf sticks, and I have them all wrapped in stealth wrap. And I mean, even the steps, you know, on the sides, um, I took a video of, you know, those ring of steps can be a little bit loud. Mm-hmm. So when you like jangle them together, like if you're climbing a tree or whatever, uh, but if I just take that stealth strip, stealth rat, and cut small strips with a with an exacto knife, and line the sides of those things, and I, it just makes such a huge difference. And I've got my lone wolf sticks the same way. Even the buckles, you know, the top of the buckle that you put your thumb on, I'll cut a small piece of stealth wrap that fits perfectly on there, and that dampens so much noise. It's incredible. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that stuff, uh, and and. He's a good guy. He actually donated a couple a couple sets of uh, stealth strips to the Saddle Palooza hunt. So uh, that's awesome. And and I'm a big fan of stealth strips. If you guys don't have stealth strips, it's like a it's a suede. It's a thick suede fleecy material that's camo and an adhesive on the back. And you basically, like Ted said, you just cut it to the the shape and size that you want and stick it on whatever metal you're trying to quiet down or camouflage. And it does a great job. It's really high quality stuff. I mean, it's, it's the best. It is that sticky back on that Amerisuede is super sticky. It, you know, it'll come off if like on the ratchets when you're, you know, tightening it down and everything. But I just look at it as maintenance. You know, I keep a running supply of that stuff on my hunting shelf and my, in my arsenal. And, uh, it doesn't have to be metal either. You know, like I said, the Ameristeps, the, the cleats or the steps are plastic and, uh, it does a great job all around. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And man, it sounds like that was an awesome hunt, and uh, it's really cool that you got to share that with your son on public land. I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty good hunting season. Yeah, yeah, it's been very enjoyable. The only uh, the only challenge is I was you know hoping to to uh, to fill several tags, but with my son becoming so proficient now, you know. I, <laughs> Uh, I don't have to go out and shoot does, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, um, hey, before we let you go, it would be awesome if you could maybe go through 
some of the questions that you have since you're kind of new to saddle hunting. I mean, you're an old pro, really. You already got a, the biggest buck of your life out of the saddle. So, hey, you're 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 basically a seasoned vet at this point. But <laughs> before the before the season, since this was your first season using a, a saddle, uh, maybe if you would kind of talk through some of the things that were a little bit scary or daunting, or maybe not scary, but intimidating uh, to, to jump into saddle hunting and, and maybe talk about how some of those things panned out since this is the saddle hunting one Oh one podcast. If, uh, maybe you could explain some of those things to listeners that might be experiencing the same, the same hangups as you. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I basically, I just, I understood the concept of it and I was so enamored with the concept and I, I had this, I had a suspicion that it was the ultimate stealthiness that we just referred to. But I, I really didn't know how, you know, I just, it just seemed that way. So I tried my buddy's trophy, what is it? Trophy Ridge tree saddle, I think is what it is. The trophy line tree saddle. Yeah, trophy line tree saddle. Um, really didn't even know what the heck I was doing and was uncomfortable, you know, and it, I, I didn't let that deter me though. So I just went ahead and ordered the, uh, the Arrow Hunter Evolution from New Tribe and, uh, you know, just started playing with it. And I, I would say that the, the biggest uh, question for me was how am I going to climb the tree? Because there's, you know, multiple methods of people using, you know, the spikes, the lineman spikes. Uh, seems like a lot of guys drill and tap. And I, but I wanted to be, uh, you know, didn't want to drill into trees on public land. And uh, so I went with the lone wolf sticks and I was, you know, more familiar with using uh, quick sticks in the past. So. I went with that, but that was probably the area that I was most, you know, had the most, um, unsurety about, you know, was how to climb the tree. I'm glad I went with the lone wolf sticks. Uh, then from that, that brings up the whole other next topic of, you know, you, you if you're going to be carrying eight pounds of metal around in, in the form of these sticks, then you really need to get higher than, you know, 24 feet or whatever you can get with sticks. So you got to add aiders. And then there's a whole other school of thought on that. Uh, I just made my own rope aiders with a piece of PVC at the bottom. And now, lo and behold, I wrapped it in stealth wrap. Um, yeah, go figure, right? But uh, yeah, um, there towards the end of the season, I ordered an Etrier from, uh, from the rock climbing company. I can't remember what it is from West Virginia. It's three letters. It's, it's CMI. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and I, I, uh, I really look forward to using that because I didn't have the time to, to try it out yet. Uh, but I, I see, you know, I just got it a couple weeks ago, but, um, when I, I went out last night and it was about, oh, I don't know, it was probably 15 degrees last night. And I had a little bit of difficulty in pulling my, getting my leg up into my homemade, uh, aider modification. So that Etrier is three steps and they're pretty close together. I think that will be really helpful for late season. You know, when you're kind of, I am very familiar with those, uh, those CMI, uh, Etriers. It's, uh, I used those for several years and I loved them. And my brother actually was, was wanting to go on a, on a saddle hunt with me. We went to Illinois this year and did a DIY public land trip. And he didn't have all the stuff to hunt public land cause he's, he's only hunted private land. And so I ended up letting him use my lone wolf sticks with, uh, with, uh, the climbing trays on them. 
And he ended up taking them home with him. And so now I'm out a set of climbing etriers and the lone wolf sticks. So, <laughs> oh, nice. uh, so I lost those. So I've gone, I've, I've changed up my methods a little bit, but not because, uh, not because that didn't work just only because they're gone now. And I didn't feel like buying a whole nother set. I'm sure you have something you could use, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there's certainly no shortage of climbing methods in my uh, in my garage now. Ted, did you practice a lot before before the season, or did you kind of just grab it, figure out how to how to attach it to the tree, and then start hunting? Well, you know how it goes. We've all, we've always have all these grand ideas, right? In my mind, I was going to spend the whole month of August practicing in the yard and everything. You know, I think I practiced twice, which that included you know climbing up the tree and getting situated and everything, and shooting my bow a couple times. Uh, but the reality is, is that I basically hunted probably two or three times in September and then two or three times in, uh, you know, early to mid October. And that was basically my, my practice, you know, uh, it would have been nice to go into it ready to go, but that's just not the way it worked out. So, but it, it was, uh, you know, the, the learning curve is not as steep as what I thought, you know, you get in the woods a couple of times and climb some trees and, you know, you figure it out, you know, one of my, uh, you know what, here's this probably answered your question better than, better than any of it. Um, one simple thing that made such a huge difference. And I don't know why I did this wrong, but every time in the woods for the first probably 10 or 12 times hunting, I, I, uh, tied off my, my, uh, uh my tether line to the tree, but I would tie it, like reach as high as I possibly could. And mm-hmm. you know, that, that puts a lot of unnecessary pressure um, so once I, I think I saw John Eberhardt post something about how he, he likes his tether line right above his eyes. And I brought mine down to, you know, just about the top of my head, I think is where I typically put it. And that made a huge difference in the comfort of the sit. Um, the, another thing that was very simple is, you know, I just got my, uh, gray wolf woolens. If you guys haven't checked their products out, you should. Um, I just got my gray wolf woolens overalls in the in the mail they were my christmas present and they, I, I slacked and didn't order them in time so i just got them the other day and i used them last night for the first time and overalls make a make a big difference in the comfort of the saddle you know just uh just through the nature of you know pants and a jacket right there where the saddle meets them the overalls seem to work out better excellent that's good advice i've seen the gray wolf stuff i haven't pulled the trigger on it yet but uh, the last thing I need is more camouflage, but uh, <laughs> I, I actually have been looking at those for a long time and I, I actually may end up pulling the trigger on those, but man, that was a lot of good info before we let you go. Um, I don't know, Scott, if you have anything else, but I wanted to ask uh, if you could maybe, maybe give one piece of advice or answer one question or, or put out one thought to, to a brand new prospective saddle hunter, what would it be? Try it. Just try it. Just get in there and try it. There, there's going to be a learning curve. There's no doubt about it. And I was perfectly okay with that at the beginning of the year thinking, you know, it, it could mean, you know, that I don't harvest a big buck, you know, just because of the learning curve. And I was perfectly okay with that, but it ended up working out really well for me. And that would be my, my single tip is it's a, it's a hunting, it's a whole other level of hunting that you just really can't fathom until, until you're in that situation. And I, I highly recommend it. It's been awesome. So Ted, um, cause one of the biggest hangups a lot of people who haven't tried it have is the, uh, the cost of the saddle. So you, your advice would be just, 
just do it, right? Yep. Yep. I, I mean, there's more cost effective uh, saddles out there for sure. But, you know, if, if you're not familiar with how to, how to rig, you know, your, you know, I don't know. I see a lot of different uh, lists on, on the forum, but the, the arrow hunter, uh, man, they've got a great product and you're, you're assured of the safety aspect of it. And it's not cheap, but you know what? It's about the same as a lone wolf and a set of sticks. That's right. It's not, it's not really that much more expensive if, if at all, when you figure, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier that, you know, if you're a traditional tree stand hunter, you're more than likely going to have more than one of those tree stands. So that can add up quickly. Yeah. Or yeah. Even, and you will never need two saddles. Except for when your 15 year old boy wants to hunt out of <laughs> one too. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. But uh, outside of that, you know, you you basically have uh, a saddle that can go in any tree at any time and it just you just pack it around with you and you know it's uh it's a lot better than packing around a tree stand yeah well ted thank you so much for coming on to the podcast with us today we really appreciate your time and congratulations on that big buck i mean that was an awesome story and uh hopefully we can have you back on soon Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Uh, Keep up the great work. Love the forum. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Okay, thanks again, Ted, for coming on to tell us your story. Uh, We really enjoyed listening. Um, I know that everyone out there really enjoyed part one of our Saddle Hunter 101 content, so we're going to get right into part two. So here you go. Saucy Swissy Swissy Derider? How do you say that, Scott? Yeah, I would say Sweezy the Rider, Sweezy. but whenever I, whenever I see him, I just call him Sweezy Rider. <laughs> Sweezy the Rider. Hey, let us know how we pronounce that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he, he, he brought up a good point um, that a lot of new guys would uh, have questions about, and that is positioning for the shot. How do you shoot behind you? How do you shoot to the, um, to the left and to the right? And Scott, I'm going to have you talk us through that if you would, but maybe use, you know, like the clock positions, 12 o'clock being the tree, six o'clock being behind you. And let's not beat a dead horse on this because we'll post a video that shows on, uh, on the saddle hunter YouTube channel that shows exactly all these shots. But, uh, yeah, talk us through the, the shots from the the hardest shot for me being like the five o'clock, four to five o'clock shot. Uh, and talk us through how, how do you make those shots? Okay. So I'll start out real quick with just how I would set up a tree. I'm going to set up and I'm going to be facing um, either the direction that I think the deer are come, going to come or I'm going to be setting up where I think they're going to be crossing in front of me. So that makes the easiest shot to be coming in front of me. So obviously if I got the, t- the, the tree would be at my, I would call it my 12 o'clock position if we're looking at the face of a clock. So any deer that comes across of me, I'm going to shoot them either directly in front of me if I lean out at 12 o'clock or I'll let them pass and I'd shoot them 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, um, in that way. So that's the easiest shot or anywhere from 11 o'clock over. And we're talking for a righty. I'm a righty anywhere from 11 o'clock over to about nine o'clock would be the easiest position for a saddle hunter. Do you agree? I completely agree. And, and really from the nine o'clock to the, the six o'clock isn't really any more difficult. It's just a little bit more of a turn to the hips, but yeah, right. you're right. The definitely from the, the nine to 11 is the, that's the sweet spot. And that's where I set up all my shots to be. 
Yeah, and that, and that requires the least amount of movement, movement also. So that's why I'd say that's the easiest. Agree, 100%. Okay. okay, so now what you can actually do is let's say that the deer – let's say I'm prepared for the deer to come over to the left side of my tree over on the 9 o'clock side, but instead it goes over on the right side. So now what the first option I have is I can actually move around the tree to my left and shoot around the tree, which would be the opposite side of the tree for me. So I have a certain amount that I can go. So depending on the size of the tree and the circumstance, I can actually walk around the tree and possibly shoot all the way up to three o'clock on that side of the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now on the bigger trees, that gets harder. But if it's a small, maybe eight inch diameter tree, that's, that's fairly easy to do. Okay. And you have to, you have to adjust your, um, where you position your pack. This is something that you have to, to just go through experience and learn where it needs to be. So it doesn't get in the way of you being able to take that shot. Okay. So now let's say that instead the deer happens to come from my right and they're going to be passing behind me. So like we just said, anywhere from nine o'clock out to six o'clock is fairly easy. All I'm going to do is turn my body to my left and I'm able to shoot right there. Now, let's say the deer had come from my 12 o'clock position. It's going along the right side of the tree, but it's going to keep going that way instead of coming actually behind me. So what I will do is I will move around the tree to my right as far as I can go. I will kind of place my right hip to the tree, take my left foot off the steps, and lean back in that direction. Yes. And... By practicing doing that, you you are able to again shoot to the three o'clock position on the tree. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm gonna say the the right hands the right hand side uh, of your body if you're a right handed shooter is obviously the hardest uh, from and and also this depends on your your platform. It depends on how big the tree is. So there's lots of variables. But what Scott's talking about is just kind of a general overview of of how you perform these shots um but remember i hunt off of um some sort of tree steps when i'm hunting so that's that's how i have to move to take those shots yeah and if you're hunting off of a platform like a uh, like a ernie seat a, a modified tree stand seat platform uh just imagine you know the uh a, a laptop sized platform that's attached to the tree similar to a tree stand uh that it's a different type of platform that I use uh, and the shots to the right hand side, you know, the, the 12 o'clock to, to three o'clock and, and down to six o'clock are much easier just because of the way you can spin around on your platform. But uh, I think Scott, you did a good job of kind of covering the basics of, mm-hmm. of how that works. And, and what, what we should also talk about here is kind of the features of a tree, you know, arc writer, he posted a good comment about, what size trees, uh, and then, you know, what features of a tree lend themselves to being a good tree saddle tree. And my far and away, my favorite thing is a crotch in the tree or a multi trunk tree. One of my favorite trees of all time, uh, was a tree that, that split into four trunks about 12 feet up. And I got about um, uh, about 20 feet. My feet were probably around 18 feet. So my hips and everything were around that 20 foot mark. Uh, and I was in, in the middle of four trunks and I felt so secure and hidden. Uh, that makes a great tree. You want a tree that 
is at least somewhat vertical uh, where at hunting height, you know, maybe it's all wonky and twisted getting up to hunting height, but whatever, whatever point you decided to tie in, I find that it's somewhat vertical, you know, is, is pretty helpful because the, the leaning trees, they can be pretty uncomfortable trying to fight gravity. If you don't set up right, uh, or you're kind of new to it, it can be a little, uh, disconcerting or a little bit more difficult to figure out, uh, a leaning tree than a straight tree. So that's always something that I look for. And I like branches, uh, unlike those, those folks that are, um, climbing with, uh, climbing with a, uh, traditional tree stand or a climbing stand, you know, they don't like branches too much. I like branches. I like to get in them and hide them, hide in them. Uh, you're not really limited by those trees with a, uh, with a tree saddle. So Scott, what's your perfect tree look like? Uh, you kind of just described it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I look for. Now, do I always find the perfect tree? No, but if I can get in, in a crotch or in multiple, multiple trunks, I will. Um, another advantage of a situation like that, if, and can't always have it, but sometimes you can actually lean back into the the other trunk and it makes a nice little backrest. Oh, that is so comfortable when that happens. Yeah. You know, if it's, it's about two foot, if a trunk, if you have two trunks and they're maybe two foot apart, uh, mm-hmm. that's a, maybe even more, maybe three foot, uh, just depending on the tree, but, uh, man, you can lean back and not only is it comfortable, you just totally disappear. I mean, you just look like a, a part of the tree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, um, the only thing you have to be careful when you're setting up like that is you have to make sure you have enough clearance to move around without hitting the other trunks. Yes. And, and kind of talking about trunks, uh, uh, user root and D Wade cam. He, uh, they, they asked kind of what is the, what's the right way to deal with tree lane, which we kind of talked about. And then what's the maximum and minimum size trees that we recommend. Uh, I prefer to hunt a tree that's, 12 to 18 inches in diameter. Um, and I hunt as big a tree as I can fit my arms around at the base. So if there's a tree that I can't wrap my arms around, I generally won't hunt that from a, from a, I'm talking mobile now, but if, if I was going to set it up ahead of time, I don't really care how big the tree is. Uh, I can make any tree work. Uh, but that's what I was going to say. It depends if I'm hunting mobile or if I'm hunting preset trees. Um, I've been hunting mobile a lot more lately, just trying to to minimize the amount of screw and steps that I use. Or so one of the places I hunt, I can only have one tree set up at a time. So it's not like I don't have my trees picked out already. I just can only have one set up. I got you. So, so it, the, the smaller, there's a sweet spot for the size of the tree to make it going up easier. Like if you're trying to go, even I, I find um, if one that I can fit my arms around for mobile, that gets to be a little bit more work. Yes, it, it is. And, and you're going to be limited with your climbing method as well. You got to keep that in mind. Cause what I found are most climbing factory climbing methods. If you can't fit your arms around it, your strap or your rope for your climbing stick or, or whatever method you're using more than likely isn't going to go around the tree either. Uh, and give you enough room to, to tie it appropriately. So, uh, so to answer your question, root, if I can't fit my arms around it, I generally don't hunt it from a, from a mobile setup. And then 
for, for preset, I don't really care how big it is. I mean, John Eberhart, the godfather of saddle hunting, he hunts huge trees. He's got pictures on his site of him hunting trees, you know, four foot across, 30 feet high, just giant trees. And you can do that with a saddle. Um, and the nice thing about those trees is you can really use them to hide behind. Oh, man. Yeah. No, I mean, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. Now, it's the, the bigger ones, they will sometimes limit where you're able to shoot. But um, you can really hide real nice in them. Um, what? How long does it typically take you to set up? Cajun shooter asks. How does the typical? How long does a typical setup take? Uh, Scott, what do you what are you thinking now? Let's assume it's, that we're talking mobile because a, a preset is simple. How how fast does it take? How fast can you climb a tree? I mean that's easy. Yeah. But let's yeah, talk mobile. Mobile. It it depends. Uh, typically. 15 to 20 minutes. It's probably fair. Okay. And that's taking your time being quiet. That's taking my time. What what I, I used when I first started hunting mobile more, I, I wanted to, to get up the tree and get set up and I was trying to do it quicker. And um, this year I've been hunting with the wild edge, edge steps with my aider. And I think it takes me a little bit longer than if I was just carrying sticks. But if it takes me five minutes longer, it's really usually not a big deal. I really, if, if, if I need that extra five minutes, I should have got there five minutes earlier. I agree with you. It's uh that's a good time frame. I'm depending on the tree, if I'm hunting mobile and depending on my climbing method, if I'm using spurs somewhere where it's legal, I can be up the tree in just a couple of minutes and be set up in, in, you know, seven or eight minutes total. Uh, if I'm using my mm-hmm. sticks on public land where it's not legal, you know, it may take me 15 minutes. And if I'm climbing a tree that's got a lot of branches with sticks it might take me 20 to 30 minutes so it really depends on your setup but i would say on average if i had to take you know all my mobile hunts during a season and average them out i would say probably the same as you scott i would say 10 minutes is a good round average number yeah and for me i would i would say 15 15 minutes is an average like you said if more branches it's going to take me 20 Mm mm-hmm yeah, a, a uh, arc writer. Um, he he asked a question that I put on the list that I wanted to make sure we touched on, and and that was the essential and non-essential tools that uh, provide a better experience for novice saddle users. So Scott, what are let's say you know a couple things that that you absolutely can't live without that that don't come with your saddle. A Ropeman one. Oh, you stole mine. That was number one on my list. Uh, Ropeman one for sure. And why is it so great? The one-handed adjustment of your lineman belt and tether. Yeah, it, now, it's so like heavy one, which you talked about at the beginning when you're going through the 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 um, definitions of some of the terms. You talked about a Ropeman one, and a Ropeman one is basically just a replacement for a Prusik knot. It's a mechanical Prusik, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a life changing device is what it is and the only caveat i'll say because this has been discussed extensively on the forum is that the uh, the weight ratings for the ropeman are much lower than most of the other climbing equipment so a a lot of people are using different ways to back them up whether it's hooking in with um, a figure eight into your carabiner or actually putting like a a prusik in addition to it to say you still have the the one-handed adjustability um if you want to learn more about that, you can go on the forum. But the Ropeman one, or uh, I'm using a Kong duck on my tether, but just it makes adjusting the length of your tether so easy 
that um, it's hard to imagine life without it. I'm, I'm in total agreement with you, Scott. The Ropeman one is top on my list. Now, if you're getting something from the factory, you know, like a Kestrel, you probably don't need to spend any money on anything else. I would say uh, for me, uh, knee pads are an absolute must. I, I don't mm-hmm. hunt without my knee pads. And I've used different I, pairs, and um, I'll put a link on the on the show notes uh, on the on the website saddlehunter.com uh, that shows the, the, shows the, uh, the knee pads that I'm using now, but, uh, I would say the Ropeman one knee pads for sure. And then I agree. I, me personally, I, if they're, if you're buying maybe a a used setup or DIY, I would get the lightest carabiners that I could, you know, obviously that are rated for the proper, um, proper amount. But I spent a little bit more money to buy super lightweight carabiners just because I like that. Um, but for me, those are the things that I would do. Knee pads, ropemen, and ultra lightweight climbing equipment. That's what I would yep. do. Yep. And those carabiners, they're not that expensive. You get tw- we get one for 12 or 15 bucks on Amazon, and they're, they're so much lighter than the steel carabiners that come with a lot of um, a lot of other hunting equipment. Yep. And the one the one thing I will add in addition to that is some sort of pouch on the hip of, of my um, – my saddle because my my tether and my lineman belt go in that pouch it stays attached to my saddle at all times and the only time it comes out is when it goes on the tree or i'm drying it out after i've hunted in the rain or snow okay do no pouches come with the kestrel um the it comes in a in a bag but it doesn't have like a like a dump pouch or something Ah, on it that you can put those in i believe they're um the way that they recommend is daisy chaining your ropes and hanging them off uh. Um, so personally, I this is kind of a hangover from using the tree saddle when it came with the pouch on the hip, but I like having my stuff right there in a pouch on the hip ready to take out and use at any moment. I keep it attached to the saddle at all times so that I grab my saddle out of my, um, my uh, scent-type bin in the truck. It goes on me, and I go in the woods, and I know that I'm ready to go. I completely agree, and... I, I kind of I thought that the, that it came with that. I cannot live without. I use three pouches on my my sit drag. I use one on the, my right hip, just like you said, for my tether lineman belt. I use one on my left hip that contains my bow hanger and my gear hanger, and I use a second, a small little pouch. It's a water bottle water bottle pouch that I cannibalize. That that pull that holds my pull up rope. I carry a thirty or thirty five foot pull up rope, and none of those things ever leave my saddle. They go in and out with me every time. So, like you said, I can grab it out of the bin and put it on my hips, and I'm ready to go. I know everything is there. Yeah, the one thing I added to my saddle in the middle of the season, and it adds a little more weight to the saddle. And I keep going back and forth on what I want to do, but I have a pair of the easy cut clippers that I put on the back since I've been hunting mobile more. I just always want to make sure I, I've forgotten that a f- few times this year. And that's why it went right on the saddle. That way I know I won't forget it. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, are there any knots? Uh, sure shot Scott asks if there are the, any knots that you need to know getting into saddle hunting. Uh, the only one I can really think of is is maybe the, the Prusik. Uh, Prusik, if that's even considered a knot, uh, it's a friction knot, but the Prusik is kind of important because you use that, especially as a beginner. Um, and then maybe some of the stopper knots, but I mean, really, I don't tie any knots when I'm saddle hunting. Do you? Yeah. Um, not while I'm actually hunting the, um, the figure eight on a bite 
or an overhand on a bite or popular uh, climbing knots that I have on my, my tether and my lineman's belt for hooking in. Um, but honestly, whenever I have to tie one, I pull up a video and I just verify that I'm tying it properly since I don't tie them all that frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just bought a copy of this book on rope and it's, um, I was reading, it just came the other day and it's a really, really good book on, on knots and ropes and everything in climbing. And the intention of the book is actually to introduce all these safe climbing methods to people in, um, different industries basically. And, um, we're saddle hunters aren't on the list of people in the book, but if he had came out with a new edition, I think we might make it. Um, but one of his recommendations is to basically learn like the, your three most common knots that you're going to use and learn how to tie them and use them. And after that, there's really not any need to learn how to tie other ones. Now, it's always fun to learn to different ways, but really I would say like a figure eight on a bite is my most common knot, that and a stopper knot. And um, those are the ones that are pretty important. Sounds good. How do you manage all the gear in the tree? Jay Petrie 11 asked, uh, how do we manage gear in the tree? Well, me, I use the, the gear hanger that stays on my left hip. Uh, mine is a one inch webbing, a loop of Molly webbing. That's about oh, two, only three foot long. And I just loop it around the tree, loop it through one of the Molly loops, clip my bow to it and hang my grunt call rattle tubes or excuse me, grunt tube rattle bag and anything I hang off of that. I have my bow goes on my left hand side. I hang my pack on a, on a separate hanger and actually just did a YouTube video that's on my YouTube channel, uh, that shows how I do all that in the tree, which is probably better than me explaining it. But, uh, it's really simple. I don't use any screw in stuff because I hunt so much public land where it's not allowed. So my stuff is all, uh, just hanging on the tree and uh, it goes in and out with me every hunt. Uh, what about you, Scott? Yeah, so if I'm hunting mobile, I use, regardless if I'm allowed to use screw-in or not, um, all my stuff is strap-on as well because I just find it to be quicker. But um, it, even if I have a preset tree, it's I set up the exact same way. I have um, a custom-made uh, bow hanger that goes on my left. That's where my bow will go. It goes somewhere around my head height usually. And then I have my pack holder, which will go on um, on my right, usually somewhere around one to two o'clock on the tree. It's probably anywhere, somewhere around hip height, depending on the tree. And then so the bow goes up on the left, pack is on the right, and I'm ready to go. There you go, ready to ready to shoot old mossy horns. Um, right. You know, as we're as we're getting to the end of the podcast, at least the one on one section, somebody brought up the other day on the forum, and I wanted to include it are some of the cons of, of saddle hunting. And I, I like that he asked the question because it's not always rainbows and unicorns, right? There are some cons and let's talk about those as we kind of end this, uh, overview of saddle hunting. What, what would you say, Scott, are something that you, you know, after doing it for many years have come to think of a con for saddle hunting? Well, for me, from seeing all the new members on the forum, I think just, learning how to saddle hunt it would just be a con. I guess it's, it's hard for me because I've been doing it for so long now, but I guess it does seem intimidating to a lot of new users. And um, That's what I would say. Then, I would say the barrier to entry is one of the main cons. And it's it's intimidating. You know, if, if, 
if you've never used climbing rope before. Now, if you were a rock climber or some, if you like to rappel or something like that, and you were very familiar with knots and ropes already, then the idea of hanging from climbing rated rock or climbing rated rope from a tree probably isn't intimidating at all. But if you don't have any experience with that and you're going, oh my gosh, I don't think I want to do that at all. Then I would say like you, like you mentioned that, that, the education part is kind of a barrier to entry. And that's a con because it's, it's not as self-explanatory as a tree stand. Oh, okay. I strap this here and I stand on it. Piece of cake. You know, that's easy to see, uh, where saddle hunting isn't always that easy. Yeah. And, um, I've said this before on here, but I think it's, it's hard for you and I to understand at times cause it's been so long for us, but I think it really can be intimidating for people. And, um, so we're working on trying to get some information out there to to make it easier to to understand saddle hunting before you take the plunge. One of the big questions we get from a lot of people is just, or maybe not questions, but concerns, is about dropping the money on a saddle and then they're not going to like it. And um, you, we've got the Saddle Hunter Google map where you can go and look and maybe you can find someone in your area that will be willing to, to let you at least go and... Um, and see one in person before you make that purchase. But it's, yeah, I guess that's probably just as far as cons, I, that's the only one I can come up with. You know, because once I'm hanging in the tree and ready, I, I can't think of any. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the same along the same vein is, as the education portion, but I would say a con is, is comfort. Um, at the beginning, let me caveat that with at the beginning, because like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, I am very, comfortable in my saddle. I mean, extremely comfortable, as comfortable as I've ever been. But in the beginning, uh, it does take some getting used to. So it's again, kind of the same thing, you know, that barrier to entry is the fear of the unknown, but I was uncomfortable when I first started. I mean, I had hip pinch and hip squeeze or whatever you want to call it. And it took my body getting in, you know, I, I use this term all the time on the forum of saddle shape. It takes a while for you to get used to hanging there and you know, you have pressure on your hips and on your legs and on your back that you're not used to having. Once you get into saddle shape and your body is used to it, you'll find that it's extremely comfortable. But in the beginning, I think that that might be a con for some people. Yeah, you're right. And it's, and it's not even just saddle shape. It's just knowing what to do with your saddle and where to position it, where to position your tether. I mean, it, it's all stuff that's a learning curve and you have to get out there and you have to do it and you have to experiment. And until you figure out what works for you, we say this all the time on the forum, but you have to figure out what works for you because every person is built a little bit differently. And that pretty much does it for the Saddle Hunting 101 episode. However, before we let you go, Scott and I did want to talk through kind of our recommended uh, saddle setups for beginners. So if you are brand new to saddle hunting, you have, you have almost no experience with it. You're coming from a traditional tree stand. Scott and I kind of wanted to give you some pointers, some tips and some recommendations for gear that will help your transition, uh, work for you. Does that, does that sound about right, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I guess I'll start it out and, and we'll just kind of go through this kind of maybe keep it simple, keep it short and sweet. And so for my recommended saddle, I, I wrote two, um, and, and I'll explain why, but my, my recommended saddle for, for nearly everyone is the Arrow Hunter Kestrel. So that, 
that came out at the end of uh, 2017, at the beginning of the 2017 deer season. And that saddle is just, it is absolutely killer. Uh, I've gotten my hands on it recently. Actually, Scott sent me his hit, one of his, he has two because he's a high roller. And uh, I, I got my hands on that and I absolutely love that thing. It is bulletproof, bomb proof. It's built to last. I mean, that thing is very well made, and and I don't think as a as a new user you could really go wrong. It's a, it's a little bit on the expensive side, at about you know a little over three hundred bucks if you if you buy their whole kit. Um, so it is a little bit expensive, but at the same time it's pretty much ready to go. There's not a whole lot of DIY stuff you have to do. And um, when you're looking at price, remember you need only one saddle. You don't need if you were to add up how many tree stands you have. You just need one saddle to compare that price to. It's true. Very true. It, it, it is all relative. And you got to remember this thing is going to last forever. I mean, the only, I mean, if you lose it or it gets stolen, you'd have to replace it. But other than that, this thing will never break. I mean, it is, it's that well built. So I have no problem recommending that to anyone. It's a great saddle. That's what I would buy if I was just getting started. But, uh, if, if, I, let me caveat that with if you don't want to spend that kind of money and you want to go the DIY route, maybe you have some experience with knots and climbing, maybe you're a rock climber, an arborist, or maybe you work in, in law enforcement or the rescue uh, side of that and you're familiar with that stuff and you feel confident building your own system. Uh, my second my second recommendation would be uh, a, a modified sit drag with a rock climbing harness. And, and I've got some content on that on my YouTube channel that you could check out. And I'm not going to go into that because that is for such a small slice of people. Uh, if you are new to saddle hunting and you're not familiar with ropes and safety and, and carabiners and, 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 uh, life support equipment, don't do that. Go buy the Kestrel. Um, but if, if that's your bag, if you're into the DIY stuff, jump on saddlehunter.com and there's a whole bunch of content about some DIY options. If you, if you're looking to save a little bit of money and, and you want to do it that way. Um, so that's a, that's a small caveat to the Kestrel go buy the Kestrel, but then, you, you know, you know, that little slice for those that care about that. Scott, what do you think? What's your, what's your saddle pick? Oh, the Kestrel, no doubt. The, um, it is so well made. Um, they and it's nice to just have a a current option out there. I mean, they they uh, this is the third generation of the Arrow Hunter, and they've been making improvements every generation, and it's the best version um, that they've got out there so far. So um, that's. That's really my only recommendation. Now, I would say if you wanted to and could find it, you could go find a uh, an old trophy line tree saddle. But at that, for that, you know, it's we're going on about probably ten years since they were last manufactured, and they're still good and they still work. But um, there is a current, currently manufactured option out there, so I can't I can't even recommend the tree saddle anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Now, if you were on a budget and you didn't want to spend, you know, the the two or three hundred bucks for a Kestrel, I, I I get that. I mean, I I feel like that's a, a reasonable thing. I mean, some people hunt with extremely inexpensive tree stands because you know they don't have the budget or they don't want to spend the money on an expensive saddle and or a tree stand. And so there's I don't 
to me, it's not a big difference in, in the, in the tree saddle, uh, market. If, if you don't have that budget, a trophy line is a great option for me. Uh, so, but the thing about the trophy lines is they're not going for that much less than a new Kestrel. Yeah. So I, that's, I was just about to caveat that and say that, you know, if you could find a really good deal, you know, on Craigslist or on eBay or something, if you could pick one up for a hundred bucks, then I would say, go for it. If, if that's what floats your boat. But if you're going to spend the going rate on a trophy, I mean, what Scott, they know they're still going for like two or 300 bucks, right? Yeah. Now there was a point where they were going for four to 500 bucks when there was just no saddles being made or right after, um, new tribe came out making saddles but um more recently they went down to you know maybe three 350 and as soon as the kestrel came out the uh the price on them dropped uh, i i would say somewhere between like 200 250 is probably the going rate for most of those saddles now okay yeah so i i guess my my opinion would be if you could pick one up for 100 bucks it would be worth it because they're they're a really good product. I mean, I hunted out of a trophy line for five years exclusively and, you know, I killed deer, a lot of deer out of it. So it's, it's definitely an option for me, but it's, it, you know, Scott's right. Just go to, go to Arrow Hunter and buy the Kestrel. You won't have any regrets. It's a yeah. solid product. Yeah. And the, the tree saddle is a great product. My dad hunts out of one. My brother hunts out of one. Um, if you have one, go for it. I mean, actually, I know we've had some guys come in on the forum recently. You know, I've had this tree saddle sitting in my closet for 10 years and I've never touched it. Well, get it out and use it because it's still good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that covers that. So Scott, what about a platform? Because it's difficult to hunt from a saddle if you don't have some kind of platform. What's your pick? Yeah. Well, this is actually one of the uh, the hardest parts for us as a community right now because we don't have anything... Uh, for the, the uh, many of the public land hunters out there being manufactured right now. So um, if you're allowed to use screw and steps, that's what I use very often. But if you can't, you got to try to find a set of the, um, the plastic strap on Amara steps. Um, the going rate is about 20 bucks a step. They pop up on, on the saddle hunter forum. They pop up on eBay, Craigslist. You, you just, you got to look around. Um, if you start searching now in January, I guarantee you will be able to find at least five before hunting season. But um, if you start searching in September, I can't guarantee that. Now, another good strap-on option that's just recently come out is the Bullman Outdoor Silent Approach. I mean, what do you think about that as a platform? In my limited testing in my backyard, I don't think they're going to work very well for a platform. I, okay. th I think they are a great option for climbing the tree as they were designed. And I've been uh, wor working on trying them out like that. But um, I did try them with the boat buckle in the backyard. A uh, boat buckle, for anyone who doesn't know, is just an over-center buckle. And I wasn't able to get them tight enough where they weren't moving around. So um, for me, um, I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't use them because to get them tight enough, I'm sure you'd have to use a ratchet strap. And I've, I'm hearing a little bit of... Uh, questions if you can get them tight enough with that but um like i said for a, a for a um climbing the tree actually they've been working pretty good so far so i'm going to keep testing them for that okay all right well that's good so scott you would choose screw in steps where legal and the ameris steps where where screw ins aren't elite aren't allowed Okay. Yeah. I'm going to echo that. I'm going to say my number one pick for a platform is the Ameristep strap on steps. Uh, so I had a cost associated with 
uh, 80 to a hundred bucks. Um, you're going to have to spend, you know, like Scott said, if you can find them, they're the going rates anywhere from 15 to 25 bucks. So, you know, you need probably four to six of them. So, and then you need a strap to either a ratchet strap or a boat buckle strap, like Scott mentioned. So, you know, you're talking 80, um, maybe you get lucky and, and find a, a set for cheaper than that, but you know, you could plan on spending about 80 bucks on that platform. Uh, and now my runner up, uh, and this is really, you know, I, I call it a runner up or a second place, but I mean, this is neck and neck for me. I mean, this year I use the, the Ernie's outdoors XOP modified seat platform more than, more than I used the Maristep strap on steps. And kind of what my method has kind of evolved to is I use the Ameristeps on any sort of preset stand with screw in steps or, you know, tree, tree sticks or, or climbing sticks that I've set up and, and I just leave there for the year, then I'll usually use my Ameristeps because I find them to be very comfortable and I just leave them in the woods. But if I'm hunting mobile, uh, I'm 90% of the time picking that Ernie's Outdoors XOPC platform. Uh, you could pick one of those up on saddlehunter.com. Uh, just search through the forum and you'll find the Ernie's there. I think it's called the Ernie's XOP platform. If you find search for that on the forum, you'll find it. And uh, Ernie will hook you up. He's a, one of the members on the forum. He does fantastic work. I have a couple of his of his platforms, and I even gave one to my brother. Uh, he weaseled me out of one of them. And Ernie has even donated a couple of platforms to the Saddle Palooza hunt that's coming up. So highly recommend Ernie's platform uh i love it love it love it can't say enough good things about it so you guys should definitely buy one i wish scott would get one of them i actually he has one but i wish scott yeah. would convert to hunting out of one but he's he's tried and true with his screw-ins and he's sticking I, to it i actually probably have as many as you if you believe it i have never taken one in the woods though wow you need to give them to me yeah i might sell them i had bought one for me my dad my brother but we're not gonna use them yeah, but well, I, I I know where you can sell them for about 25 bucks each. Yeah, I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. And just a side note, if you're looking for the XOP platform, if you Google search XOP platform, the first two links are um, the XOP site, and then the, uh, the next section after that is everything on saddlehunter.com about it. Okay, great. So we got the saddle, we got the platform. Scott, what is your number one pick for climbing aid? Well, again, if you're allowed to use screw in steps, uh, that's what I would recommend because you can preset trees with them. But if you can't use screw in steps, um, some sort of climbing sticks. If you're going to be carrying them in and out, I like the Hawk Heliums or the uh, the Lone Wolf. Um, and that's pretty much would be my uh, my recommendations for a beginner. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We need to focus this on a beginner. So, uh, all right. So, so my. Uh, my choices for the for those that can use uh, put items in a tree or for permanent setups, I would agree with Scott that uh, you you can something that a, a, a screw in Scott excuses uh, screw in steps, but I choose to use tree bolts, and that's with a easy cut drill or a tree hopper drill, um, a woodpecker drill, and it's basically a little hand drill that you can drill a small hole in the tree and then use a grade eight bolt. Uh, to climb the tree up with you can find out lots of information about uh, tree bolts on the saddlehunter.com forum there's multiple threads about it where to get everything uh, it's, it's 
not as expensive as tree steps, uh, in my opinion, because you can reuse the bolts over and over again. So Scott loves his, his screw in steps and I'm a little bit more partial to the bolt climbing method. Now, uh, where I'm, I differ a little bit from Scott is I really like spurs too. Lyman spurs, gaffs, uh, they go by a few different names, but, uh, I use climb right aluminum spurs They're cost about 200 bucks. And if it's where legal on private land or, uh, on, on public land where it's legal, I think that's a great option, but I'd still stick with the tree bolts. If you could only buy one now for run and gun, I stick with uh, muddy sticks. I've tried a lot of them. I haven't tried the Hawks, uh, but I've tried the lone wolves and, and muddy and, I actually like both of them. I ended up sticking with the muddy sticks with a set of aiders or etriers, uh, like uh, like we talked about with Ted earlier. Um, it just makes it easier uh, to climb to the height that I like to get, which is you know over twenty foot. So, and the muddy sticks pack up a little bit better for me than the lone wolves did. So, that's my pick for run and gun are the muddy sticks with aiders. And that's going to set you back about 200 bucks, unless you can find a smoking good deal somewhere. Scott, we need to wrap this up, but what are the, what about any accessories or anything else that a beginner needs to get in the tree? All right. Well, for me, the number one accessory that I will not go to the tree without is a set of knee pads. Yes. Good option. Yeah. Um, that's just, that is part of my gear. They, Every time my stuff goes back into my uh, Rubbermaid container, my knee pads go right onto my saddle so that I can't forget them. I put them on my knees at the truck so I don't leave without them because I have forgotten them in the past and I hate sitting in a tree without them. What kind do you use? Uh, right now I'm using some, um, the brand is Alta. They're like tactical ones that I had gotten on Amazon. Um, for a long time before that, I used the Trophy Line ones, um, but I did finally wear them out. And I just ordered that smoking deal that you had posted on the the ones that you have, um, the art. What is the Arcteryx? Yes, oh, I'm so mad at myself for not buying a backup pair. I've been looking at them since whoever it was that first posted them, but they were like seventy bucks for knee pads. I have knee pads that were are working, so I couldn't really you know spend the money. And then when you posted that for forty bucks, I was like, it's too good to pass up. You're gonna love them, man. That's. I used the same set of Home Depot uh, rubber knee pads for years. I'm talking like seven years, the same pair. They were starting to break down. I, I had duct taped the, uh, the clips on them because I had broken them and they were all cut up and they were starting to get worn down. And I picked up one of those, one of those same pairs that you're talking about. And man, I really, really like them. And I paid the 60 bucks for them, I think. And when I posted that link on the forum at the $40 price point, man, I wish I'd have bought a second pair, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, you're going to really like them. Uh, anything else you, you can't live without in the tree, Scott, besides knee pads? Um, just a couple, couple other things. I, I have a dump pouch attached to the side of my saddle. Ah, my, good point. My tether and my lineman, my lineman's belt live in there all the time. The only time they come out of that is to when I'm using them on the tree or if, if I'm out there in the rain, I'll just take them out when I'm drying everything. But besides that, they stay in there all the time. That way I grab my saddle out of the truck, put it on and I'm ready to go. Good and, point. I use the same, same exact system. Yeah, I did have one time. This was probably my first, 
couple years of saddle hunting, actually, using the trophy line exactly the way it was. I had um, pulled it out and my tree strap, which would be like the tether, fell out into my bin and I didn't realize it. So I got up in the tree and all I have is a lineman belt. Oh, no. So I had to hang off my lineman's belt for the entire evening sit, which wasn't very fun. Whoops. What Lesson learned, right? Yeah, you won't do that again. Nope. And I, and I haven't. That's why everything stays together. Yeah, I hear you. That's exactly what I do. And I actually, I have a video on my YouTube channel about how I store all of my ropes on my saddle. If you guys want to check it out, uh, it's called, uh, I don't remember what the name of the video is, but it, it's something about saddle hunting and, uh, it's on my G2 outdoors YouTube channel. And, uh, that you, some of you new guys might find that helpful. So you could check that out. Uh, the only the only piece of gear that I'm gonna highlight, Scott, are the Ropemans. Ropeman ones. I love them, love them, love them. You definitely want to use one on your Prusik knot, uh, or as a replacement for your Prusik knot. And a lot of people use them, including me, on their tether as well. But I could live without it on my tether. But the uh, the Ropeman is an absolute necessity. Use them too, don't you, Scott? Yeah, that was next on my list too. For your lineman's belt, it's it's a life changer. It's um it, it's a bigger deal than on your tether, um, just to give you that one handed adjustment. I love it. I absolutely love the Ropeman one. They're about thirty bucks, and uh, they're hard to find in stock. Uh, it's usually usually I mean only every few months they come in stock, and uh, so I think I have four or five of them now, just so I never run out. And if I take a if I take a friend or take uh, one of my kids and I'm going to introduce them to saddle hunting or something like that, then, then I'm set for that. So that's something I definitely recommend you guys getting is at least one Ropeman one. Uh, Scott, that pretty much wraps up saddle hunting 101. Let's, uh, let's give them our final thoughts and we'll get out of here. Yeah. We just wanted to talk uh, a couple more minutes about safety really quickly. Cause you can never talk too much. Um, actually a thread just popped up recently on the forum actually started by you, Greg. Huh? Go figure. Yeah, and um, just, you know, a lot of good stuff was coming out in there, and I just want to add for um, a beginner saddle hunter that buying something such as the Kestrel kit is a a great way to get you in the tree starting out safely. Um, You know everything is done correctly. Um, If you get their, uh, their tether and the lineman's belt, you know that everything has been put together correctly, and even if you decide at some point in the future you want to move on and do things a little differently, well, you now know what everything is supposed to look like, and you can branch out from there. But um, it's just it's very important as a beginner to have a, a good, safe starting point. Not that you ever want to not be safe, but um, things that are overbuilt are overbuilt for a purpose because um, safety isn't to be taken lightly. That's right. Scott knows what he's talking about. You guys should listen to him. He's much smarter than me, so pay attention to what he says. Uh, Yeah, so that's a good point, Scott. Glad you brought up the safety stuff. It's very important, like you said. Another thing we want to mention before we let you go is the uh, Eberhardt, John Eberhardt, the godfather of saddle hunting. Uh, If you don't know about John Eberhardt, you are wrong. Get on saddlehunter.com and search for John Eberhardt. He is an amazing hunter, public land hunter. He's been getting it done for over 50 years in Michigan. And he does seminars and workshops around the country. 
where he explains his system in detail to people and hunters are just raving about it. So uh, we're big supporters of John Eberhart, both Scott and I. Uh, John's, I consider John a friend and I know Scott does as well. And if you're able to, if you're in uh, Michigan or Ohio or Wisconsin or anywhere up in the Midwest, you guys should really check into John Eberhart's uh, seminars. You can find out more at dearjohn.net. That is deer, like the animal, D-E-E-R, dash john.net. And I think you can also go to uh, Eberhart's Whitetail Workshop. Does that sound right, Scott? Yep. Yes. Yeah, so and there's, there's, a link, there's a link on the Saddle Hunter website, not to have a talk, but actually the website to Eberhart's Whitetail Workshop as well. Oh, there you go. That's way smarter. See, I told you Scott was smarter than me. Just get on your computer, on your desktop computer, and go to the forum and click on that link, and it'll take you right to it. And go support John. He's a great guy, and he's done a lot for the the saddle hunting arena. So let's go support him. And then finally, the last thing we want to talk about, it's probably one of the last times you will hear me talk about this uh, this year, is Saddle Palooza. Scott and I are putting on Saddle Palooza in – savannah georgia at the, in the middle of february february 16th through 19th and this is going to be a pig hunt focused around learning about saddle hunting and we have got some amazing companies that have sponsored the event and they're making it affordable for everyone uh, arrow hunter has donated uh, a kestrel um you know the the saddle that both scott and i say you should get they've donated a kestrel somebody is going to go away from Saddle Palooza with a free Kestrel. Uh, Easy Hunter has donated a whole bunch of sit drags, and Wild Edge has donated step ladders. Ernie's donated some custom platforms. Self Outdoors has sponsored the event with a bunch of their stealth strips. Bullman Outdoors with his brand new silent approach steps that we talked about. And then just recently, we got a new sponsor, uh, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms or Camera Equipment. They've decided that they want to jump in and be a sponsor of the event. And we've even had members of the forum donate platforms and posts and uh one of them is briar precision he's selling these custom posts on on saddlehunter.com and anyway uh not to belabor the point but we just you know scott and i are very appreciative of these uh you know these small companies that have decided to you know throw their hat in with saddlehunter.com and support us and support saddle hunters all around the country so Hey guys, go out and buy products from those guys that I just talked about. Support them because they support you, and they want the the they want saddle hunting to grow just like Scott and I do, and and we know that all of you do as well. So, what else you got, Scott? Before we let them go, well, I was just gonna say I couldn't have uh, said that any better myself. Um, I don't know. As we are talking, you just reminded me of a funny story about my daughter. I can leave leave you guys with that. A good laugh. There you go. All right, so she, I've gotten her really into deer lately, and last night we actually had some uh, some deer spaghetti, and today she tells my wife, I, um, I want reindeer, and my wife is like, what? What do you want to do with reindeer? I want to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's wonderful. Yeah, so this is my little future hunter. Oh, that's good, man. That's awesome. That's, oh, yeah. Just it's, at least she didn't ask for Rudolph. We're just worried about when she shows up at daycare telling, telling them she's going to eat reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's funny. 
I love it. I love it. Well, uh, yeah, I haven't had any reindeer recently, but I did eat some. I did cook up a whole bunch of venison and some wild pork that I killed down here in Georgia. So I've been eating my fair share as well. So um, I'm excited to get some pork after Saddlepalooza. You will definitely have pork at Saddlepalooza. There will be a lot of pigs killed. I promise you that. Um, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait. It's only a few weeks away. Uh, as we record this here in the middle of January, Saddle Palooza is right around the corner. I'm pumped about it. So I think that's it, Saddle Hunters. Scott and I are going to leave you there. We appreciate you guys listening so much. Please jump on the forum and join SaddleHunter.com if you're not already a member and get in the conversation. We love hearing from you guys. And, and you know, we're just normal guys. You're going to see Scott and I posting on the forum. Uh, because that's what we believe in and that's our passion and that's what we love to do. So please join the forum if you're not already and get involved in the conversation and learn how you can be a more successful hunter by transitioning to saddle hunting. So we're going to leave you with that. Thank you again so much for listening and make sure you check us out next time on the next episode of the Saddle Hunter Podcast.